0: Plus minus. Dang, dang. Oh, what a Tim Kawakami deserves all the credit. Plus minus. That is a word right there. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even what per, said. What'd per, you say? Plus minus. Yeah, like, like Marcus Thompson. Marcus always tells the truth. Plus minus. The only thing that I would say to Ethan Strauss is that he's a pretty damn good reporter. Um, he's well plus respected minus. I think he got the highest plus minus in a season in NBA this year. Up, Warriors Plus Minus is back, and we are going to take it way, 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 way back a long time ago to a year ago.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you scared me for a second. I was just that, that, that feeling of, Whoa, would I study for the wrong test? Oh no, 1972
0: Warriors,
2: <laughs> everything pre March. Like, I'm just new, saying, it you know, feels like an eternity
0: world. ago, right? Think about that. It was a year ago, but how long ago does does the 2019 Finals feel?
3: March feels like a long time ago, and forget about June of last year. I feel like five years ago. Well, because so much changed anyway, right? I mean, it's going to be a whole other era, no matter what. And now it's a whole other era plus a pandemic, which we're still in, and they're not going to play again for a while. So it's it's forever ago.
0: We're gonna look back at Game Six of the 2019 NBA Finals. The Warriors come into this game needing to win to survive. Toronto needing a win to clinch its first NBA championship. It was also the last game in Oracle Arena, no matter what happened, the actual last game. We had a few last game vibes before that, but this was the actual last one. Uh, Ethan, what do you remember about heading into this game? Also, game five was the, the loss of Kevin Durant and the Warriors' dramatic uh, surviving win in Game 5. So set the scene for Game 6, Ethan. Yeah,
1: so I'm I'm about to fail. You just told me to set the scene, and what's weird about how memory works is you can't really predict what you're going to take away. I have no memory of pregame of this game. I have tons of memory after the game was over. I have a lot of memory about that, about everybody in the hallway, about everybody in the bridge club, about all the family members just drunk. Hey, just Brian, completely. this is the part where you hit the sub horn. What's <laughs> up? And you're like, Slater, come in.
0: <laughs> okay, so uh, the lead-up to this is
2: uh, obviously it's not just the, you know, Katie has the calf injury in the Rocket series, right? And then it just it didn't seem like it was kind of a reawakening of a past Warriors and the invigoration of... Going, I think Ethan has termed it before, but like they were hunted and they be, kind of became the hunter again. And it was just a different, it was like the underdog warriors. They won the Rocket series. I, you know we can kind of sweep over the Blazer series, whatever. Portland was such a bad conference finals opponent, but there was the day to day of the Durant stuff, where like almost every day we were asking, you know, can he play tomorrow? But the reality is, I think the team kind of knew he wasn't going to go until at least Game Four, Game Five ish. They go into Toronto. Remember that Game Two, like Cousins goes off in Game Two, which was random, and then they go home. It's one one, but Clay had the hamstring injury, they held him out of Game Three get blown out in game three, get blown out in game four, maybe not blown out, but like, you know, the the Raptors came in and won both games in Oracle. And it was 3-1 going back to Toronto. And you kind of felt the night of game four, wow, we just saw the last of Oracle. And then you have the dramatic KD entrance to game five, which leads to, you know, the tragic exit in game five and then yeah the stunning comeback when everyone in the building in toronto thought the game was over in game five they're down six i think with like two minutes left
1: warrior fans are like why are you going back to that game (laughs) but wait a second but but to to my point do you have a pre-game memory of game six i do I have the day before. I
2: remember talking to Sean Livingston. I think me and Marcus were talking to him on the court. I remember kind of like that media lead up to game six and like the, kind of the fear from Toronto, even though because like the pressure was on Toronto to finish it off, particularly without KD. And you just felt like, ooh, Toronto does not want this thing going back to seven there,
3: even though it's there. They didn't want I remember it. the day before, clearly, because remember, Clay, it was Clay and Steph together at the podium, which. They hadn't done in several years just because i think steph was early and clay was late which is would normally be the case and so they're both up there they're both talking about their emotions about durant and then clay went on that soliloquy about and they're doing it for kevin they're doing it for oracle they're i mean it's in very unlike and you know maybe it was Clay's like been, really emotive right yeah like, like we like... haven't seen that from clay and and maybe recently there would have been more of it but it really was like it took you like and it was clay and steph together up there Again, they, I don't think they planned it, but the fact that they were both up there, it, just, it felt like something different, and Clay taking that, and they, you know, there were undertones in that, and we can all talk about the column I wrote that everybody was mad at me for, but... There were undertones about players kind of wanting Durant back or not sure if he was coming back. And then he does come back. He shows that he wanted to play desperately. And the emotions of, you know, the heartbreak of seeing him get hurt, the surgery, I think the surgery was happening, like, as Clay was taught. Talk- right? It was like all this stuff. He was announced all- it on
2: Instagram. The team wouldn't confirm it. And then suddenly KD announced it.
3: Yeah, I think during the press available, like during the media, media availability, yeah, that's happening. Yeah, I remember happening. that. So, like, you have all these intertwining. Didn't Steve and, say
0: he didn't know when, he, when it was his turn? Yes,
3: yeah, Steve was first, and he didn't know. And then as Clay was talking, this is happening. I remember then I talked to Steph about the last days at Oracle like afterwards, and we're kind of walking through. It was kind of a good way. Like, we're walking through Oracle, talking about the last days of Oracle. It felt right. All these things were kind of happening, and I, I still that Clay emotion set up the pre-game for, for Game 6, set up a lot of the emotions at Game 6, of course, and then he's the one who goes down in Game 6. It was so it was so loaded emotionally. That's what I, I remember.
0: I just remember this coronation, like this feeling of, you know, like it felt like the last time in Oracle. You know, you saw all of these, like, gestures and people taking pictures all over the place and
1: everybody wanted to pose and everybody's asking, I can't believe this is the last one. Marcus, remember after... Was it Game Four where we thought it was the last at Oracle? We just hung out with that middle-aged dude and and his daughter just yeah, on the yeah, court on taking pictures. Yeah. Just they're just soaking in the last of it. He was just oh, just some local guy. I think he taught basketball or coached basketball for kids. And he was doing the thing where you dribble an imaginary basketball and you you shoot it and they were just soaking it up and it really felt like like we're losing something. You know, there will be fans at the next arena, but there's something here. Still you had these old school fans there who felt like they were losing something. That it did feel like it was old school. Like it felt like
0: a pregame just felt like everybody had decided to try to be the old Oracle again, right? And it's just there was just a lot of nostalgia in the building uh, at that time. I know, I know uh, TK is completely unaffected by nostalgia. He's always looking forward. But I think I saw him choke up a little bit, I think. Oracle is important. And, and you know what? And that they
3: earned that last game. Again, like you talked about, it could have been game four. could have been the last one. If they lose game five in Toronto, that's it. But they won Game 5 with all the stuff that went on. They earned themselves a Game 6. And to spin it forward a little bit, I think there was a strong feeling. There probably still is a strong one. Like, if they had won Game 6, they felt pretty good about Game 7. Now, the clay thing happened. Who knows? But I'm saying going into Game 6, they felt like if they win Game 6, they felt very good about All the talk seven was like, out. hey, this yeah. is us coming back from a 3-1 deficit exactly. and getting the redemption, right? They That's felt what they good were, about it. I thinking. mean, they won Game 5. They felt like that was maybe a little skip in the in the Toronto emotions like they saw something there and they had already won without Durant in in the previous series so they'd won game two in Toronto without Durant they felt really good just try to win game six get it back to Toronto they felt great about it now I felt pretty tired at that point (laughs) I was thinking I I don't know if this series should go much longer I thought Toronto was the better team I think as we talk about game six It's pretty clear without Durant, clearly, but they just were better. They had more good players. They subbed better players. They rotated better players. There always was a better five out on the court than the Warriors had, but the Warriors felt good. I think the Warriors, like, even if they had stolen this game six with Clay Hurt, they felt okay about game seven. I mean, they just had that little, like, we got this. We got Draymond and Steph and whoever else, and we could figure out a way. I remember that being a part of the pregame Game game 6. Like, if they can win this one, it doesn't matter if it's going back. They feel good about it. How many buildings,
2: you know, legendary sports venues have held such a large game as their final game. I went to Arco's last game because it was King's Thunder, like, late in the regular season. Kings aren't making the playoffs, but it just happened to be their last home game. And, I mean, it was like West Finals-type atmosphere. Every former King was there wearing, like, the royal blue jerseys, you know, Brad Miller, Mike Bibby, Bonzi Wells, just all these guys up and down the arena. And it was an amazing atmosphere and it's like to add that into a game six of this like highly emotional back and forth finals like I can't think of another building closing game like
1: that it was cathartic I mean afterwards it was I don't want to skip ahead but You felt you've done it already, Ethan. You did it already. This is how my mind works. I'm a free associator. (laughs) His
3: mind was already in the bridge club
1: post game. He's always
3: in the bridge
2: club. It's still in the bridge club. It's who
1: he is. It's still in the bridge club. That's what he does. (laughs) RIP bridge club. We accept you for who you are, Ethan. Thank you. Habitual go aheader. I can't help it. I free (laughs) associate, I bounce around. But there was such a catharsis after this one with the loss, with how it went down. Everybody getting drunk. I had never experienced an atmosphere like that after a game before, where it's it's all over.
3: The other time that felt like this to me was Barry Bonds' last game as a Giant, and the game is over. It wasn't the last game of the season; it was just his last game as AT and T Park. And then we all went over to the bar across the street, and it was the wildest time. It was like team executives, players, media, broadcasters. It was over. The thing was over. It was great. It was over. And yes, that felt like that for Game 6. But for a lot, I mean, there are different reasons, too. Durant could be gone. Clay's out for the, you know, like like all these things were part of that, too, of this Game 6. And it is interesting. We talk about Oracle Arena and like, oh, yeah, this hallowed place, this incredible. And it really kind of just built and built. I mean, I don't know, like two years before that, there was this emotion for Oracle Arena. It was a cool place. There was a good vibe to it. But it wasn't like, oh my god, when Oracle closes, the emotion is going to be... But it built, and it built, and it built, and this team played to it, and this team was worth it, and the arena was worth it, the emotions were there, and and again, they earned this game six. That was a possibly unlooked for, possibly surprise game, and that was, was perfect about it, too. Well, that they game coming in in
0: a clutch now, huh? Financially. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, no question.
3: no question. Oh, yeah. This, this, you mean a, another $13 million wasn't a bad thing?
1: For Ooh, it came in the clutch. I'm still remembering the remembering. I think Marcus and I might have gone to the media room. I think it was after game four, because they said no matter what happens, they're not using the media room again. And We just walked in that old media room, and maybe listeners don't care about this because this is our job. It's the nitty gritty of our job. But where you see those press conferences before and after games, and just so much of our lives had been there, and we had seen our careers, such as they are, take place there, and that's—I really felt it there. I remember
3: security guards were taking pictures in the tunnel. Yeah, yeah, you you know,
1: and and that hits you like
3: most of them are at Chase now, or maybe all of them are at Chase, but. It meant something to them, too. They're, you know, they're the same guys are taking pictures outside, the guys who open and close the doors. I think I took a picture of them closing the door at the end. You know, It might not have been the final time, but it was one of the final times. It just... But we're, we're skipping over the game here. Ethan's got us in the bridge club drinking <laughs> Get the beer game, here.
0: Hey,
1: yeah. hey, I saw the last dance. The last dance did numbers. All that did we, was skip around. Yeah, all that skipping did around. Skip okay, around. we
0: got to go. All right, let's go. Yeah, let's go. Let's, <laughs> let's go back to 2013 real <laughs> quick. First quarter, Kyle Lowry. Made Kyle the Lowry just, oh, man, he was unbelievable picking on Looney, in the first picking on, line. Picking on injured Loon. Which is weird because, you know, uh, we've seen Looney step up to that challenge against you know better players like frankly right and he was just completely helpless against kyle lowry and lowry knew it off off the get-go and he got hot and that might have been the difference right there that that first stretch was so important you know toronto was so composed the rest of the game they were so they were so resolved and the OG of their team, it felt like gave them that confidence straight off the bat by Four threes. Four Looney. threes in about six minutes. Like that was big.
3: Yeah, and I think it was a signal that they could always get that guard a shot. And it was Kyle Lowry in the first quarter, and we'll get to it, it Fred Fred VanVleet in the fourth quarter. They could get that guard a shot and pick and roll. They didn't have to worry about setting up anything. The guard could go get the mismatch and go and Kyle Lowry gave it to them and then they just knew it the rest of the way. And I'll say one thing, I was watching this game and I knew Nick Nurse coached a really good series. That was a really well coached game just looking at it, you know. I haven't gone back over the games, but Nick Nurse can coach. Underrated. He gets his he gets his guys the ball in the right spots, the defense Obviously the box and one, you know, had been played the game before, game and continued to kind of mess around with the Warriors. I just looked at it, go, this is a really smart, thought out game, this guy's coaching. But you know, obviously led by the guys making shots. And Van Vliet making Van Vliet and, and Lowry making shots was was the, was the ball game.
1: I don't want to go so far as to say young Belichick. With Nick Nurse, yeah, because, But you just did, no, <laughs> well, because we, because we, there needs to be a little more of a track record. But that I was going to say coach. Spolstra,
3: I was going to say Spolstra. That's well, what Spolstra.
1: I, you know, I just don't think Spolstra is, is innovative not as offensive. As,
3: mi- yeah, he's not as offensive minded. Spolstra is a really good defensive
1: coach. Nurse will find these little market inefficiencies like. Taking the time out at a different part of the floor. That if you remember, I think in that series Kerr was saying that he didn't even know that you could do that to. Um, what was I'm trying to remember how that all worked and what that was. Uh, the where you take a time out versus where you can inbound it. But Nurse was using that to his advantage. And he would do the boxing one, even if it was mocked. And he would do zone defense in this last season. And he doesn't, he looks a little goofy. He looks like an early 1900s train conductor. And, and remember, he he's, placing,
2: he's replacing Dwayne Casey, who was like successful. So,
1: you know, it was a little like Mark Jackson to Kerr-like. Yeah, and he's up in Canada. So there's just not going to be that much attention. He's not a former big time player. But I think that guy's a top three coach in the NBA.
2: He was facing criticism entering this game. For the timeout he took late in game five when it just felt like the Warriors were just wobbling. And then he took a timeout that let the Warriors kind of like catch their breath. And then that's when they go 3-3-3. Three, three, three. So it's interesting. I mean, I agree with all you're saying. How about the season he's coaching right now? You know, or just did. But
3: he was facing criticism entering this game, you know, kind of ironically. Well, can I ask one general question? Did I, Who was the Warriors backup shooting guard this season? <laughs> I mean, it was just last season. And I look at this game, and I go, "What was it Livingston? I is mean, I one. They, they didn't have... <laughs> they Alfonso had no,
1: McKinney? Yeah, it Glenn was McKinney. Cook? Like, they didn't have
3: Nick Young that season. They didn't have... Yang, like, they had no Barbosa. Remember Damian Mark, Lee in
0: the regular season? Yeah.
3: Yeah, should have been... They could have really used Damian Lee in this series. There's oh no question about that. They. I mean, you're just you're looking at the roster going, what the hell? They got nobody else who can shoot other than the big three. Like, nobody.
0: I mean, you're looking at this, and it's like, yeah, Alfonso McKinney is not the answer. <laughs> like... Jacob Evans, Jacob Evans. <laughs> Did they go into
3: the season thinking it was going to be Alfonso McKinney? Is that what they thought? I don't even remember. Do you nah, remember.
0: he was uh he was like a training camp invite. Yeah, so who, who was made who the, the team? Who
2: was Evans, Jacob was Evans. A, wow. You
0: know, wow. like remember, remember
1: when they drafted him to have an immediate rotation guy, sixteen I mean, game player,
3: sixteen game player.
1: I remember talking to Warriors coaches that summer league Evans for a summer league, and they were not impressed. <laughs> Can I also say another thing? It was
2: to answer to your question is Patrick McCaw who's on the other bench. That's who they thought was it it was going to be, right? I I
0: mean, remember, and then he held out, and that's how uh, what's called made the team, right? McKinney was because they ended up having an extra spot, and that's who McCaw would have been, right? The backup too. I mean, they had
3: Nick Young the year before that. I mean, I'm just saying that veteran shooter. They didn't have this season. They just didn't have in, in nineteen. And I guess I knew that. I must have been writing about it. But I'm looking at this game, going, When are they gonna bring the shooter in? Like w- when's Kerr gonna bring oh wait a minute. I'm looking at the roster. They didn't have one all year.
0: Yeah, they didn't need they didn't need the shooter two guard because they had the backup shooter point guard, the the stretch big Jonas Rebco. Like they had, <laughs> cousins, they had was this supposed ale- to cousins, they had this yep, alleged yep, shooting yep, all over the place. Yep, I guess so. I guess so it's so. like hey, you could have a defensive two In hindsight, it's just, I don't even, it wasn't even hindsight.
1: Would a middle-aged Vince Carter have helped them?
0: Yes. Oh, my God. A middle-aged Vince Carter would have helped them. TK, you said they were looking for, they needed a backup veteran two-guard shooter? Yes. Oh, Oh, no. Oh, (laughs) no.
3: You're going to be doing that in 10 years. You're going to be going, how
1: come? He's still available. Jamal Crawford,
3: he's that guy. I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but,
1: but Vince Carter, who was 42 years old that season, I think could have really helped them in that series at age 42. It's I don't a- think it's a question. You know, you know what really jumped out to me. I remember thinking this at the
0: time, but like watching the the tape, it's so true, man. The Raptors were just so much better in transition than the Warriors. I mean, it was night and day. The Warriors going to transition, you don't know what was going to happen. It was probably a turnover. If the right dude wasn't handling the ball, it was all bad. The Raptors, it was almost a guaranteed layup every time, and probably a foul with it. Yeah, guys would always the guys who can finish, you know, and.
3: Siakam is, I you mean, know, incredible finisher, and they had other guys. Lowry can finish in traffic. They got guys who could run, and the Warriors just didn't have that. And McKinney, and you know, whoever used to go down the line they're, they're extra guys. It just weren't guys who could finish. Bogut got a cameo. I guess he was the first. Yeah, he was the first sub off the bench, and he plays like three minutes and is out, doesn't play again the rest of the game. Like they just didn't have these guys. They, yeah, Kerr has to go back to Jarebko in the second half and they have nothing. They just don't have anybody else who can... I guess Jurebko was okay in game five. I'm trying to remember now. Jurebko somebody... had a good game
2: six in Houston, I
3: remember. Okay, was... he had one of those good games, but like they just didn't have people who could get to the rim, get through track, I and mean, they just make plays. And Iguodala... He actually made some plays, by the way. I like made more plays than I remembered, but...
2: Iguodala had 22 points.
3: And
1: this is his final Warriors game. Iguodala, the king of pump-faking in a wide-open three-pointer... And it actually turning into something positive somehow. I, he just kept doing that. I don't know how he kept doing that, but it kept working for him. How about the moment,
2: I think it was in the second half, where he clangs two free throws just horrendously, and then the next possession swishes a corner three. And it was just like, even and like... they were one of the bad and
0: misses, too. Like, they were, yeah. He
2: shot it and went off. Like, he yelled it. At, it's like, <laughs>
0: four! Four! <laughs> Another thing that was pretty clear. I know the Warriors were switching to zone and stretches, but they were relying on the big men to get to that corner three and Looney and Cousins, they could never do it. I mean, it was just Siakam had made a three in forever. And you're just giving these dudes corner, open corner threes and Looney and DeMarcus Cousins, they just could not get there and. That was the problem with them playing two bigs, but I don't know what other choice they had because they were so small. The Raptors had a lot of good middle
3: sized players and the Warriors and the middle sized players could defend the Warriors big players because the Warriors big players weren't offensive. And the cousins could give it a shot, but he couldn't really. So you got Looney, you got Bogut, you've got Draymond, you've got, you know, these guys, cousins who are not gonna be that difficult to defend. So they could spread Norm Powell's playing, you know, small forward. They got guys who could just bridge out. Siakam could defend anybody on the floor. That's how they get you know, They're playing Lowry and Van Vliet to close. Their little guys could defend and hang with the Warriors' big guys, and they were way better on the other side, and that's a problem. So the, and the Warriors had to go small, but you couldn't go small for the whole game. And then you're going small with like Quinn Cook, right? I mean, that's, that's not a great option for them.
1: And the little guys are getting loose for three-pointers because of the Warriors' bigs being so plodding. That, that was the repeated theme. And people still talk about defense like it's one-on-one completely, but with pick-and-roll, you need, you need two to contain the action, and the Warriors just couldn't. And the story of the series, A, you had the story of the Warriors not having enough on the margins combined with the injuries to the superstars or the all-stars, and B, there was the story of... Wait a second! I can't actually. This is this is embarrassing. I had my whole A and B, and I can't remember what the second one is. I feel like Rick Perry in the debates, where he can't remember, uh, cannot remember the third. Now he's filibustering until he remembers. Bridge Club, Bridge Club, Bridge Club. (laughs) Club. So the wine (laughs) and the Bridge Club, uh, very
2: qualities infidel. I was gonna say the the answer to a lot of these questions was Kevin Durant. We learned that in the 12 minutes he played. It came back
1: to me. The Warriors couldn't guard. They were okay on offense but they got shredded defensively and the inability to get a stop is ultimately what killed them.
2: And Kevin Durant is part of that answer. Do
1: do we all remember the 12 minutes he did play? Remember? Oh, yeah. The feeling in that arena of like, oh, the series just completely changed. People around me, the Canadian city near me were just like, oh, we're going to lose, boys. It's over. It was that fatalism. I think he went
2: three for three from three early and then, he like, blocks Siakam at the rim. I mean, everyone remembers, obviously, he tries to make the cut move, disaster happens, but, like, he was awesome in those minutes.
1: It was crazy. Two things are true. A, the Raptors were a resilient, impressive team who did not get rattled and always had an answer and deserve a lot of praise for winning the championship, and... They were nowhere near as good as the Warriors as, as a roster, if you have the guys. And that's part of it. You know, you've, you've got to prevent injury. You pay your training staff for a reason. But I don't think I'm saying anything groundbreaking there, that if Kevin Durant plays that series, I mean, it's a wrap. Yeah, nobody
3: was good as the Warriors, Kevin Durant, if they're all healthy. I mean, they'd proven that the previous two seasons. But throughout this, by the way, we're talking about the Lauer being hot. The Warriors are only down by one point after the first quarter. Like, I mean, it's like somehow, and it wasn't Curry being hot because he wasn't shooting much. It just somehow they, I mean, it was 33 points they'd given up, so it wasn't defenses.
2: It was three things. Clay had an unbelievable game, which we will get to uh, before, obviously, what happened in the third quarter demarcus cousins gave them nice first quarter offensive minutes he had a couple duck in layups he had like an offensive rebound put back right when he got there like he just and remember there was a couple times that series like right after KD tears the achilles in game five cousins comes in and scores seven straight and like completely stabilizes them like he had some weird really good moments mixed in with obviously like you know there was some disaster defensive moments for him and then third which we will definitely get to. Too. Draymond had like a w- Draymond had the most Draymond game, I think if you if you want to know the full package of Draymond Green stat line, 11 points, 19 rebounds, 13 assists, two steals, three blocks, eight turnovers cuz he was wild to go full Draymond here. He's teetering on six playoff technicals with a Game 7 looming, <laughs> and he is yelling at referees the entire
3: game. With like, and he played 44 he... minutes. And, and he gets attacked, And he yeah. gets attacked. No, I don't think he did get a tech. Well, I think he um, got one that got him to the number. That got okay, him to one short there, of it. Yeah. There
2: was at least a time where he ha- he's sitting on six playoff technicals. So the Warriors are in the game. And there's a chance he could get it teed up. They win the game. And he's not there for game seven, which is like, it was just full Draymond just maxed out. He,
3: oh, sorry, he didn't get one. He was close to getting one. That's what it was. He got real close. That's what to I mean. One. He was
2: close to getting seven, which would have been an entirely other crazy storyline. Why are the Warriors in it? I thought Draymond had really nice moments. And then Clay. And then obviously all the attention. So we can talk about Steph not being super productive, but like think about what Toronto's defensive game plan was. Draymond
3: triple double in a in a elimination game. I mean, it's just almost a quadruple double with the eight turnovers. But I mean, Draymond shows up for these games. Forty four minutes, he shows up for these ball games. 15 defensive rebounds. I mean, Jesus Christ. So yeah, that's how they sneak—they sneak their way in. Up. But then they start the second quarter with that lineup. I think we all saw it: Livingston, Clay, Cook, Looney, and Ugh, I, can't yeah, I can't even remember. Ugh, who it was unbelievable. I can't even remember who his other fourth unbelievable. person was. Yeah. I, mean,
2: yes. I don't want to be Ethan Strauss and jump ahead, but do you know what their start of the fourth quarter lineup was? Cook, Livingston, <laughs> Draymond,
1: Jarebko, Cousins in with the elimination game in the finals. And the f- <laughs> I mean, do we give them some stick for how they filled out the roster, or do we say that they were constrained and it was what it was? You can say both. You can say both. I
3: mean, you know, there was Jordan Bell there, who they thought was going to be a, a player and had been in the previous playoffs. You know, they had people that they thought would, would give them stuff, and they weren't there, or they just made decisions. Quinn Cook was somebody they needed on the roster, they decided. They needed a backup point guard in case Steph got hurt. You know, they just... They had these decisions they made in, in, in this series when Durant went down. They just didn't have things they could plug in. With. They just had no way to counteract that against a roster that you would really expose you with that. Like, Portland couldn't expose them for that. Houston could a little bit. Toronto just lit them up exactly in those spots with guards. So they just sent guards at them and defended them with those long Danny Green, Siakam, and all those long wings. And that was the mix right there. And, you know, that depth when the Warriors didn't have the top end as as deep as usual, that depth just keep coming at them, just keep coming at them. You know, and that bad second quarter lineup didn't lose any ground, I don't think, or maybe lost a little bit, but it it wasn't what lost them the game. You know, it just, that Toronto had just kept coming with guys throughout
0: the second quarter. Yeah, they got down five and then Curry brought back in Steph and uh, I think it might have been Draymond. He brought back in Steph and Draymond. Clay
2: had a second-quarter surge, and maybe we should kind of dig into his game because he's probably the figure of the game, but he had a second-quarter surge that included he had, like, it was both on Siakam, and he was, like, confidently going at Siakam, pullback jumper, mid-ranger, and it it wasn't like, hey, he's curling off a screen, he's using off-ball stuff. He was, like, you know. He looked like Steph. Yeah, it was actually, like, some unbelievable stuff that we haven't really seen Clay do, and this was, like, two games after he had, like, really kind of badly injured his hamstring. Clay's unbelievable in this game.
3: Yeah, no, I mean, it's what he told until Marcus in the offseason, like, this was the best he's ever played. And he's right. I mean, for a on, he had been playing well almost the whole playoffs. Just steady, solid, and then a couple eruptions and playing the defense. And actually dribbling the ball a little bit, getting to the rim sometimes. He was playing tremendous. He was the best Warrior player in the series, probably. And through this game for sure. And just, just holding them down when Steph's getting all that attention and then they run around, they do their movement and then who pops open for a split second is Clay. Even with the, you know, even with Siakam flying at him, maybe a pump fake, a lean, and then boom, that, that shot's down.
2: Up to the moment he injures his knee, he's the best player on the floor in this game. He's better than Kawhi. Like he was the best player in this game until he injured his knee.
0: That transition, three pointer. No, like that's deep, 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 (laughs) deep. deep.
1: That's where it's like, oh, this game is over. It really seemed like the trajectory was altered. I mean, we are, okay, we're going to skip ahead to that moment effectively. Let's skip ahead to that moment because that's where everything changed. Well, we could just say the score. They're
2: in it at halftime. It's kind of wavering a little bit. Down three at half.
0: Down 60-57 at halftime. They had actually taken a lead in that second quarter, going up by three. Uh, Draymond Igadala had back-to-back alley-oops. Again, I'd forgotten how
3: good. I mean, it gets lost in the, everything, but Igor had, had a hell of a game, too. He had a hell of a game. They're down
0: three at halftime. And where does Clay get going? I think it was like a. a pull it was mid third. It was mid third. It was mid third. Mid third quarter. I just remember him hitting the. He hit a jumper. Steph hits a three. And then Clay hits a jumper. And then uh, I think. Toronto calls a timeout and then I just remember getting that feeling like because you know third quarter was the Warriors quarter right it hadn't been but it usually was I think Slater you were chronicling the third quarter like the craziness of how the Warriors were getting beat in the third quarter but it just felt like the momentum was building and it felt like at some, finally at some point Toronto would kind of crumble and Clay was going to do his thing
2: well clay has the deep three which you guys mentioned i think it was kind of back-to-back threes and then he has a play in transition where he like attacks two raptors and like finishes over him i think again one of them was siakam where was like that's is the kind of stuff clay doesn't necessarily do like go at dudes in transition so he like the arena was already in a clay mood and we all know oracle in the clay mood right where like you just like your eyes are kind of always on him the warrior's eyes are on them you know he's gonna shoot if he can even get a inch of room and then suddenly he gets on this fast break with so much momentum building behind the Warriors and he goes up for a dunk which is kind of unclay like too and it was like that was what was crazy it was not only what happened which turns into disaster but the
1: build up to it was
2: all about him too
1: and i think give that accident whatever you want to call it injury i don't blame danny green he was trying to make a play on the ball but if it doesn't happen, if Clay stays healthy, I think the Warriors win that game. It seemed like it was building to that moment. Give the Raptors credit, as Mark Jackson would say, you gotta give the Raptors credit because they always had an answer, but it seemed like that was the moment in the game where the separation was was starting. That's what it seemed like anyway in the moment.
3: Yeah. And with Clay playing that well, he probably was gonna I mean, I don't know if he was gonna rest the rest of the game. You know who's his replacement? Quinn cook right or Alfonso McKinney and that's a big drop <laughs> that's yeah. a huge huge drop I'm just looking at it by the way Quinn cook 12 minutes 30 seconds of action this game minus 16. Ooh. Uh, that's not good McKinney but was bad too yeah and like the, the next worst warriors minus four so like there was a problem there yeah but again when you're going to your you know fourth guard fifth guard uh, and he's a guy who isn't doesn't do much but shoot and only takes three shots only makes one that's a problem should have kept Damian Lee. Damian Lee would have, would have been interesting. Did you
0: guys know Clay's injury was bad? No, no. I
1: mean, like you can no. tell even on the TV broadcast, they didn't like they're like nah, he's coming they had back. No idea. They had no, no idea. Jeff Gut is like uh, he's not going to be able to check back in the game. Is what they were talking about. He
3: he looked like he was running, like he runs back down the top I know you can run back sometimes when you're not quite feeling the ACL. But like he literally runs back down the tunnel and then makes the free throws and then jogs backwards like it's not limping around now that you know they pulled him off the floor but like I didn't know like once he came back down that tunnel I'm like anything is possible when he went down he's holding his knee I'm like okay that's you're just conditioned I thought it was bad because Steph slams
0: the ball and it's like Like that
3: moment you're like okay that's bad but then once he runs back that to the tongue, like you're, this is a clay oracle moment. He
2: would have played defense if they let him. Exactly. Dude, like Draymond is like
3: looking at Cousins, like, "What are you doing?" When he fouls to get <laughs> him out of the game, he's yeah. like, "Why are you fouling?" Clay, him? Like, here's here's who you got on this. You're defending that guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, who knows? It just it was one of those. Anything is possible in this moment. I don't know, and that's the great thing about sports. That's what we've been missing the last. Like, we don't know what's going to happen. Anything is possible in this moment. And it felt like, okay, he's just going to stay in. And maybe he's, we'll have to ask how he's going to be for the next game.
2: Well, remember the Durant stuff is lingering over the training staff at the time. Remember, they had just spent two days getting killed for putting Kevin Durant on the floor. You can even hear the announcers when they're telling Clay to go back to the locker room. They're like, they're doing the smart thing, even if he's fine. And you could tell clay he's telling, you know, Roger, one of the trainers and a couple of the other guys, like, I'm good, I'm good. And, you know, Kerr has the famous quote about Clay coming off the court. There's two minutes left in the third, and he tells Kerr, two minutes and i'll be back and then obviously next thing we see he's you know crutching out of the arena with his parents and stuff that was a wild scene
3: it was it just was one of those like i i didn't know what was going to happen next and those that's in in that moment game six oracle's final game that was something it was it really i still remember like anything could happen here and by the way they still could have won that game i mean they usually could have still won that game I mean, I think they're up five. At this 1. game 8. was
0: amazingly even, considering <laughs> everything. Like he
3: makes the free throws, and then Iguodala, I think, hits a three or something. So they're up eighty-eight, eighty-three. Jeez, they could have win this game. Then, then what the hell happens in Game Seven? That's what I'm thinking. Then, you know, they open the fourth quarter with the Jarebko lineup and all that. And, you know, I think it starts to slip away. It didn't slip away like in an avalanche. It just starts to slip away because that's what happens when the better team just starts playing better in the fourth quarter. They have better players at that. But there's no clay and there's no Durant. Toronto had better players. But
0: there were moments where, where the Warriors looked like they still might pull it off. Including the key moment, right? Ethan believes that... Steph lost his chance to be Jordan in in the fourth quarter of his game. Like it (laughs) was right there at his fingertips.
1: It was there. If he makes that shot. Oh, the last shot or the other. I mean, you know, there was more work to do. He, He would have had to have hit that shot and then led a miracle game seven victory. And I think he solidifies top 10 player status. Now, is that fair? It's small sample size, right? He's still great. He still has a great career, but. To get into that very top spot, I do think you need to have some things go in your favor on the biggest of stages, and that right there, I think, was an opportunity. I don't criticize him for missing; that was a really hard shot. He had Ibaka, especially when draped he was over 0 for three and a quarter. You know, he had Ibaka draped all over him. He couldn't really do a pump fake because he had Van Fleet, I think, squeezing him in and trailing him. Actually, he could have done a pump fake, but that's what I think he should have done. Pump fake, let him fall on you. Yeah, that's so easy for us to say, though, right? Just, yeah, just easy. Pump fake. Was that the play? You th- a cross-court over the defense
3: pass from Iguodala? Yeah, apparently it was the Brad Stevens play.
0: Jesus right? Christ.
3: Yeah. I mean, there's so much risk in that.
0: Cross-court pass to the post, and then the guy comes, you know,
3: flashing across it. Yeah. That is a tough pass. I mean, Iguodala made the pass, but that is a tough pass to make. They just, that it's person. like
0: Draymond's just got to catch that. Like it's, It was one of those things. Draymond, you have to catch
1: this ball and he did and, yeah, I guess it was just a tough look. Ibaka made a great read on it and made a great closeout and nearly blocked it. And so it's not surprising to me. I'm not saying Steph should have made that. I saw people that. They should have diagrammed like that, that for
3: Jarebko. That should have been Jarebko's play <laughs> all the way.
1: That's him. That's his game. There is an argument for it. Nick Saban says when you get into game-critical situations, you draw up a play for one of your best players. That is that is a principle of coaching but I don't know if they're selling out box and one. Is there a consideration if that's you as the coach in the moment that maybe you don't have Quinn Cook shoot it, but maybe somebody else? Is there anybody else? the yeah. Yeah, I guess that's the problem. I mean, get Clay out there for one last play. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I well, mean, that's honestly, what they had,
3: that's what Cousins was supposed to be on the team for. And <laughs> you know, I don't think that was going to be DeMarcus Cousins moment there. So I should think it was, for for what we're talking about, it wasn't a terrible look that he got. I mean, it wasn't easy. It's probably a 20% shot. But you give Steph Curry a 20% shot versus giving Quinn Cook a 60% shot, I'll have Steph Curry.
2: The other part of that moment is, like, imagine if you're Toronto. Remember, like, Danny Green throws it away, and you kind of throw away a game you should have won, and then have to—it would have been so interesting because there would have been obviously no clay. But— Toronto would have been just shaky lane. It would have been two days point.
3: of it again, you know, because it's again that travel day, then a practice day, and then game seven is the, all this discussion about it now it turns over to Toronto. You have, you know, you, you have Jurassic Park going, you know, tense. It would have been interesting. I mean, I think Toronto was way better, but again, the Warriors felt great about it. They, uh, I'll just say that, yeah, we all, the coach felt great about a possible game seven, felt great about it because he had Steph Curry and Draymond Green. And Andre Iguodala, and just drag everyone else through it, just to see, just to see what the the Toronto reaction was going to be.
1: Do you prefer the the look Steph got right there, or wide open Andre? I
3: think Andre might have passed it off. <laughs> yeah, <he> was, <laughs> pump yeah. fake. Yeah,
1: yeah. I'm sure Andre would have preferred Steph having the ball. No, who would you
0: prefer, Andre. a wide open Draymond in that moment, or, or Steph? I prefer yeah, man, wide open job. Andre to wide open. Remember,
2: Andre actually hit a game winning th- or a game. Yeah. Three, I Draymond say, has series. hit a lot
0: of clutch threes that no, you've never in saw this coming. Series, in yeah. this
1: series, like two games earlier.
0: Draymond hit a three before that,
1: like right yes, before did. that. He yeah. did hit a big three. You're making split second decisions, but I wonder if Steph should have made the bounce pass to Cousins in that moment. But it's easy to say looking back on it. Nobody, nobody was nah, saying. Steph, Steph he makes a bounce pass. Shot.
2: Yeah, and Cousins in my misses. mind, I thought they were down three. But they're yeah, down one, down right? one
3: down, one.
0: Yeah, no, that was the crazy part there. That's why it's like pump fake. You draw the foul in that situation. That's Stephen Curry. He wants the shot. He's always going to look to shoot the ball. How many end of buzzer shots did he take in this
3: game, by the way? He almost hit that one from he like first one, 80 feet. Yeah, it was crazy.
1: That's why he's six for 17. It's because he's taken three end of buzzer shots, by the way. It's a painful game for Warriors fans it, because there are these moments where you wonder what could have gone differently. Butterfly effect. Steph makes the 80 footer, more momentum clay doesn't end up falling in a weird way later it 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 seems like this could have been another banner of just a few things go right it's not as painful as 2016 from
2: a you know you already kind of mentioned what curry's legacy is if they come back and win this series what is this warrior's eras if they get the three pete four or five they go three for three with kd like, how different is it than what it is now? which is still They rival three-
1: the Bulls. I mean, people, they, they rival the Jordan Bulls. Yeah, we're having that conversation, absolutely. The margin is that thin. It's that thin. And we don't act like it is, but it is. But that's the
3: difference. Yeah, it's, it's rings culture, but it's beyond that. It's like there, there are these moments, you know, we just, we just saw a 10-part documentary where there were moments where the Bulls could have lost. Easily were moments
1: where the Bulls could have lost, and they didn't. And by the way, it should be. It should be unfair. It's not fair that Steph, through a few small sample size scenarios, sees his legacy fall, I don't know, 10 spots. But guess what? That's why everybody's nervous when they watch the game. It's because the stakes are high and they're decided by the thinnest of margins and we are going to be historically unfair to the loser in a scenario that is what the drama is about and i don't
0: know that we will be historically unfair i think as as time passes i think the narrative will change like just way it changed with all these other teams uh We don't remember the Showtime Lakers for losing. (laughs) Like, we just don't, right? We remember them losing valiantly to the Boston Celtics, right? Like, that's what we remember. So, I do think in hindsight, like, people will say, yo, it was tough to knock that dude out. Those dudes
1: were a tough out. And now, maybe social media culture has changed everything forever. There's that. We've grown to instead of celebrating somebody for doing something great, enjoying the mockery of somebody slipping on a banana peel. I mean, that's kind of where we're at. It's a percentage that is emphasized by social media. I don't know
3: that that's everybody, but no, Steph isn't a top 10 player right now. He's not. And if he had won, if they win that game and then win game seven and he's the MVP of the finals, then that discussion begins. You know, he's still he's, got
2: a good chance. you know, If he has a Steve Nash backside of his career coming up. Exactly. Yeah, it's not over.
3: It's not over. I'm just saying this moment, this moment. And that's okay. It's not a terrible thing to be the second best player of your generation, which is basically what he would <laughs> Right? Been. The no, people he, act as if
1: it's bad. It's like, <laughs> Kevin
3: Durant acts as if it's bad. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> true.
2: What's interesting is KD would have had another ring added to his
3: legacy if the Warriors yes, had pulled and, But then he would have been leaving a three-time champion. It, 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 yeah, it, a lot of different things would have been different. Slater, does he does he still leave if he's a three-time champion? I think yes, if he does it
2: where they win it without him, basically, and he has the Achilles yep. surgery. I think it's a really interesting conversation if the hero moment stays the hero moment, right? Remember, he comes back in five. He looks awesome. We're all saying, hey, the Warriors might win this series. If the Achilles doesn't go... And they come back and win that series with him. I mean, imagine how he would have been celebrated as the It was already happening. It was already happening. Then, knowing KD, we have a very different discussion. I could see him going, like, let's keep it going. Or he signs another one-year, de- signs another one-year deal.
3: Oh, God, that would have been unbelievable. One and one, one and one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 man, oh my! The, the Ethan part of that would—I don't know if I could tolerate that one. Oh my God! <laughs> how how did how do we think Steve Kerr did in this game? Yeah, I think he was limited. He was limited by what who he had. I mean, I don't know what else he could have done.
1: This might not be a Kerr thing, but it might be notable that effectively a uh, mental mistake screwed up. And ended the season in 2016 when Barnes fouled. Right? I mean, they still probably lose, but that's what ended it, it was his uh, it was his intentional foul when it shouldn't happen. And similar when the Warriors jumped on that ball at the end and called the timeout they didn't have, and that ended that game and ended that season. And I wonder maybe no coaching staff. Could prepare the players for that, or maybe that's such a far-flung possibility. But that was, if I'm targeting coaching, that was one of the things I zeroed in on, where how does this happen twice in an elimination game at Oracle, that there's a mental mistake that ends the season?
3: Yeah, although this one, what, what, if they don't call timeout, they're going to win the game? The ball no, bouncing probably around. Once, yeah, with one second left, that's like their only way they can possibly have this is they call a timeout, gather inbound, take a shot. Like they're on the
0: other side of the court. Ethan's like, "Hey, yeah. man, I got to prepare <laughs> my players to to deal with the inevitable
1: defeat." You guys are. When victory is, is inevitable, you guys are choking. <laughs> you gotta say there's no timeouts. Like there's no timeouts. I mean maybe I'm misremembering that play, but it seemed like you could see it. I mean I just it,
0: I remember it, but it was over. Yeah, it, it was, was over. over. The ball was bouncing.
3: Yeah, there was there was no way. There. I
2: remember afterwards in the aftermath, the weeks after talking to him, he said like the coaching community was very complimentary of the way the Warriors went down. And he was, like, super proud of, like, even watching this game. It's, number one, this is a really good basketball game. Two, like, it was kind of, like, valiant the way the Warriors went down.
0: You know, that says plenty about the coach. Yeah, I thought he was actually good in this one. I mean, like, given the cards, right, given, like, how his bench looked, I thought he switched his zone like, at, at a good time, especially once they got high from three. Like, I thought he made some, some good moves in this. Uh, he didn't. He didn't stick to his guns quite so much with the sub patterns, right? He was pulling the plug really quick on him instead of uh, having the entire crowd. Like, yo, can you get can you get Steph back in? Like, it was like a one and a half minute rest instead of three. Yeah, Steph, I think,
3: played 41 minutes, was, which is about his max at this point. And it's like the best they ever played a zone, by the way. Like, I used to joke, like, every time they went to zone, they gave up a three. Like, every time. Two possessions, three, three, out of the zone. And it didn't happen this time, which might have been part of his feelings like, hey, Toronto might be getting a little tight here. Like, you know, we're playing a zone. They're a three-point shooting team and they're not, you know, lacing. You know, they're not incredible from three. What, they 13 for 33 in this game and they'd been terrible in, in game five, too. So, you know, that was part of like, okay, they're not maybe they're not ready for this. Let's just give them some open shots. You're not trying to give them open threes, but you make it a little easier than Letting them cut right through you, which was happening. I don't think we have. We mentioned Kawhi Leonard's name, by the way, the MVP of the finals did not have a great game,
1: did not no. have a great game here. I mean, he, he just...
2: honestly wasn't unbelievable in this series, really. Yeah. yeah. No.
1: And defensively, he was terrible, which nobody cares about. But he, he was, was really so bad. bad. Yeah, he was so bad. Just because
2: of how we talk about the NBA, we're going to
1: talk about the superstar. And
2: I don't mean us in this podcast, but, you know, in general, it's kind of remembered. Uh, Kawhi handed Toronto a championship and then left. Thank you, Kawhi. To me, this cemented the legacy of the others on this Toronto.
3: You know, Abaka finally got his ring. Gasol finally got his. Lowry. Yeah, which are continuing the show. Like, these guys are still winning games without Kawhi, without Danny Green. I'll just say with Kawhi, what he did is he just gave them a baseline. Like if, At some point, yeah. you have to stop Kawhi because he's going to just dribble And he took and over when him. he needed yeah. to. They yeah, wouldn't exactly. have won it without him, Exactly. Obviously. And he just, even if his defense isn't at the top of where he was, he's still there. They're still worried about him. He still could jump on every passing lane. He didn't really show it in this series, but that's what he gave them. This is con- complete. He's a security blanket. At the end of a game, at the end of a quarter, whenever— Kawhi can just say, give me the ball, get out of the way. I'm going to go do it. I'm going to create something. But I said, I just said, no, like we went through this whole game, the clinching game of Toronto's championship. Kawhi Leonard's the finals MVP. And we didn't mention Kawhi's name until I decided to just to make sure I mentioned it. It's just interesting that, you know, all these other guys, Van Vliet and Lowry and Siakam, were so much more important. I mean, I thought Gasol was important in this game, although I'm not looking at like, minus seven. Van Vliet, by the way, in this game, minus 10. Freak. That's
0: weird. Abaka right? had
2: a really good series. Yeah, that dude, really It felt good, like yeah.
0: Van Vliet made every big yep. shot in the world. Like, yep. it was, he was unbelievable. And he
3: bugged Steph. Like, he was the face guarder on Steph for a lot of it, and it bugged him. Like, he just was a guy that like, was a gnat on Steph. I, I wrote down in here, like, he was a good Delavadova. That's what I, you know, like, a really good Delavadova. Those guys are important in these series. When well, he's about to get Steph. paid like a, uh, I don't <laughs> yeah. know, a a good Damian Lillard or something. I mean, he's going to yes. get paid. Yes. Well,
2: maybe not this summer. I guess yeah. I don't know if anyone's getting paid.
3: But.
1: He's going to be the New York Knicks <laughs> thirty-two million dollar a year player. Let's see what the force majeure reality is uh, going
3: forward. First time we've gone without a Tillman Fertitta mention in a while, so come on. Now.
0: I think, uh, is this your mission to just mention people we didn't mention? Like, who <laughs> <laughs> David,
1: David Lee? David Lee? David Lee? Lee. No, Can Dave, we get a, no, David, a David Lee? Lee. David so, Lee is, is the drinking game. The drinking g- game is a uh, Tillman Fertitta David Lee, Warren Legary, uh, <laughs> Kevin Durant. Now, you're gonna be drunk if it's Kevin Durant, uh. Trying to think with it, Jamal Crawford, Jamal Crawford, Jamal Crawford, Jamal Crawford. Jamal Crawford was yeah. was not mentioned by me, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> insinuated.
0: Slater. Who's, Sl-
3: who's Slater's one? I can't. Who trying to think who Slater's one would be? Oh, it's got to be Eric Gordon.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, flashing ahead, I just have this powerful memory of this game, not only the bridge club and everything going on in the hallway, but afterwards I went over to Nate Duncan's house with Slater and we were just agog at how this had all ended. I don't know what you guys did, I don't know where you went, but it just seemed like what had happened before us was impossible to really process.
2: It all compounded, I'll say quickly, with Clay's ACL news drop that night, too. And it was like, whoa, like this thing, this didn't just, this doesn't just impact, like, the legacy. It's like, next season's kind of over, too, in a
3: weird way. I just remember watching, this is right after in the locker room. It's Myers, Kirk Lacob, Joe Lacob, maybe one other person were, like, huddled in that side room, and they were talking. Like, I'm going, late. I mean, it would be so cliche, but I think, I think they're, like, plotting out their moves here. I think they're literally trying to figure out what they're going to do, like intense conversation. Then Joe comes out, you know, talk to him, me and Ramona and, you know, some other people jumped in there. And, you know, it's like the the, we're going to this is this proud of it. And we're going to we're (laughs) going to move past this. You know, it's a a typical Joe like, Joe, you've got to pay Clay. I don't he's he's an asset that's lost value. (laughs) I can't do it. (laughs) Yeah, uh, it just it was so them. And I mean, I don't know that the words D'Angelo Russell came up in that conversation when he was with his his execs, but I felt like they were like, here's how we get through this. If Durant's leaving, we do this, we do this. It felt like they were had moved on at that moment. And that's very them. Like, you know, emotional. We all know Myers is emotional. We all know that there are things that they go through, but. You know, I had Kerr telling me that they should bicycle in Italy the next year, and then I had Joe like, "Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna flat it out. We're gonna do this. We are. we accept this." It's kind of the dichotomy of this franchise, right there, kind of in Oracle Arena as they're as they're closing it down, but. They were plotting out how they were going to still be good. It wasn't going to be a bad season. It was going to be a good season. Like they were still in their minds plotting out how they're going to get back to the playoffs and then they're going to be scary once Clay comes back. Like those things were already in their minds at that moment. So when did they get out of their mind? Steph Curry. It happened before. It happened before the season began. Yeah, when they saw that D'Angelo Russell wasn't quite. That's my theory. I'm still going with it. I think three practices into camp. The tone changed because, like, okay, D'Angelo Russell and everyone else, Jordan Poole, everybody else is just not up to the same level. It just it, it, missing Iguodala and Livingston. In addition to Durant and Clay, was just going to be too much.
2: Like the Clay injury changed their strategy. You know, if Clay was coming back, I have a, I think Iguodala might have come back. You know, and I think they might have chased in the Chase Center with the old crew. I think Clay being out with an ACL and like the, the
3: looming over that it might be the whole season they wanted Russell to to help Steph. Yeah, that's clear. Like they, they wanted they didn't want Steph to have to go against a box and one for 82 games. I think they would have gone for Russell anyway just cuz he was the asset, right? I mean, they didn't want to lose Durant for nothing, but in their minds he was worth the money they were going to pay him because they needed some kind of some kind of way to help out Steph and another attraction at Chase Center that and then the clay thing affected that I, I i do agree
2: i am curious if clay finishes out that season healthy and he's coming in a, this past season healthy and they have they're having those conversations leading up to july and the warriors contingent goes no we want to run it back and chase under the first time we think andre iguodala helps us chase the title better than d'angelo russell does that would have been an interesting give and take between player, maybe coaches in front office who wants to forward think, who wants to, you know, get some type of value out of the Kevin Durant asset. I don't know what they would have done, but I I lean towards thinking they might have kept Iguodala over getting Russell.
3: That was the only thing they could have got for Durant the way it turned out, and so did they just say absolutely not or just get a big trade exception for him? That's what I always I thought they should have done in the first place, just get the trade exception. Don't go crazy on everything, because I've never been a Russell fan. I mean, it's flat out. But they went the way they went, kind of the dice cast there. They got Wiggins. They thought they could move Russell if they had got him, even though they claimed that there's never about trading D'Angelo Russell. They did, they did move him, and this is where the franchise went. But if Clay's healthy, it's an interesting conversation. Definitely an interesting conversation. But I don't think they would have been that good. I mean, I—it's I, easy for us to say now after watching fifteen and fifty. But even if Clay's healthy, how good do you think this team is this season? Let's just say with Aguadala.
2: I think they build the roster differently. You know, I don't think they necessarily like prioritize youth. I, you know, I don't know if they get Burks and Coley Stein. Like some, I—I I don't know. Again, I think too much we're thinking about what their roster is now like Juan Toscano-Anderson and stuff like that. Like Robinson was pretty good. Burks was pretty good. Colley Stein could have been more of a help, I think, if it was a very spaced out Steph Curry, Clay Thompson type team. It's a very different
3: equation. But then, again, you know, I guess we could have to say that Steph probably would, you know, we have to bake that in. Steph got hurt. Well, does he get hurt? Or are they down 30 to the Suns and he's with Clay on the floor? and. Yeah butterfly effect of yeah, time of there's butterfly? all sorts of things but let, let's let's say they do all this and they they don't they keep Iguodala to go in a go for year and then Steph gets hurt that's disaster That that's, would, disaster. Then yeah, that's that disaster. Would not have been good that would not have been good so although you could even claim that they, they they got worse by getting Russell just by getting him they got worse but in their minds turning him into Wiggins in a first-round pick makes them better and they're probably right there well
0: yeah Memphis is the eighth seed so I think they would have made the playoffs They'd be
2: going
1: to Orlando, which guess what? Would yeah. <laughs> would they want to? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah the Orlando situation is crazy. Is anybody seeing any enthusiasm from anybody involved in this? That's the question I have right LeBron now. LeBron James. LeBron yeah, yeah, LeBron James, But other players. I mean, speaking of these Raptors, Van Fleet was kind of going like, yeah, you know, I mean, I put, yeah, I guess other players are going, I guess we're going. It was this very, yeah, I guess we're doing this because not enough people have dropped out if you read his quotes. And this is just i i mean what? they could have voted not to play
0: right so clearly a lot of players are like yeah we want to play i mean on an individual
3: basis it's like i don't know but if you don't play you blow up the cba they weren't going to blow up the cba well, i think it's a difference between blown up and tweaked yeah you know, they can't blow
1: it up if the players are playing they can't blow it up i think you can i think that there's reason i mean amin el hassan was talking about on my podcast there's they there might be enough of a justification to force majeure this situation, uh. Regardless, and so yeah, I think it's a matter players, of are you, you know. gonna get some money out? Are you gonna get some more money before that happens or not? That that might be the scenario we're looking at, but is a lot is up in the air. A lot is up in the air. If they do that with the players voting, you know, maybe
3: slightly with mixed feelings to come back and put themselves in jeopardy, and then in order to keep the CBA intact. And to get the league the playoff television revenue and then the league blows it up, man that would be nasty that would be bitter. I cannot see that going I mean again is it a possibility? Sure everything's a possibility but I just can't see that being a realistic situation scenario because the players are the ones I mean there's gonna be 20 to 50 to 100 more positive tests they're out there risking themselves. And in, in order to keep the CBA, and then if the owners go, oh, you know what? To hell with that. CBA is done. We're going to pay you half of what you think you're going to get. That would be
1: really be t- playing with dynamite, I think. I I would never put it past a, a lot of guys who have made their money in the way that these owners have made their money, especially if they can press an advantage, which is the stock market, for whatever reason, has been decoupled. Uh, from the rest of the economy and it has gone up people own teams you do have your drink Tillman Fertitta's who, who got it in the neck during this pandemic but that's not the majority of the NBA owners so they might have more leverage than they would have in a standard situation because of this while the NBA players are missing checks so that's something to look out for in the future but obviously a lot is up in the air right now all right that's a good episode, gentlemen. We'll do a look back at another point. We'll take your nominations. If
3: people got any nominations, send them through.
0: Yeah, definitely. We could we could use all the tips we get.
3: We haven't done anything from the two fifteen playoff run. I mean, we should do one of those. We have that. Those are pretty interesting games to go back on, and we might have forgot some stuff. So.
0: I'm with it. Throw I mean, we up. just trying to we just trying to include Slater, who was like in a different part. Yeah, we got any Thunder
2: games we could go back. Oh, over? we got plenty of them. We got plenty of them. If you want me to start dropping, but you guys are gonna
3: have to do a lot of homework. The Reggie Jackson game. What are we That's doing this one. Oklahoma State football game for? What the hell's that one? Know, right? we can have an
2: Oklahoma State football conversation. We already kind of did. Yeah. yeah, we did. That's true. <laughs>
0: All right, we out of here, fellas.